of judges included myself, Brian Zisk, and these awesome folks here, among a few other people who are not on the panel, but I'll let each judge go through and introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Shane Tobin. Spotify, and uh, before that, uh, with the Echo Nest. So, yeah, back in the streaming music world, and uh, have been working on software partnerships for Spotify since joining their team. I'm David. I'm the CEO of Bandzoogle. We're a um, platform where bands build their websites. Uh, prior to Bandzoogle, I used to work in venture capital industry for eight years, and uh, yeah, that's me. Hi, everybody. My name is Patrick Mahoney. I've had the good fortune of working with Brian Zisk for, shit, almost 18 years now. Um, uh, at the moment, we, we, we've formed companies, we've funded companies, we've advised companies along the way, and, and at the moment, we're operating a small advisory investment fund, working with companies just like these that come out of uh, the Summit Showcase. I'm Daryl Ballantyne. I'm the founder and CEO of Lyric Find, and we're basically a lyrics licensing and content aggregator. Almost like, I guess, the, the sound exchange for lyrics all over the world. Awesome. And I'm Patty Silverman. I'm the communications director for the SF Music Tech Summit, the conference that you're at right now. So the way this is going to work is it's, we're going to have demos, which are going to be three minutes, and then two-minute Q&A from our panel. If there are audience questions, we're going to be really tight for time. But if you have a question, feel free to raise your hand, and we'll try to squeeze you in. If not, we're going to have... Um, questions open up to the audience at the very end. So we'll start with band posters who are joining us from Nashville. Hey everybody, I'm Jonathan Sexton. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Band Posters. I'm here with my co-founders Mike Fabio, who's running the demo over here, and Travis Vinyan in the back. Band Posters is an online solution that allows bands and touring artists to design, print, and ship promotional tour posters to every stop on their tour in about 90 seconds or less. Um, the problem that we're solving is, is a small, simple problem, but it's a very real problem for anyone who is out on the road touring, and that is getting massive amounts of promotional materials to multiple destinations in an efficient amount of time. So Band Posters solves that problem with an easy three-step process that Mike's going to show you here. The first thing that you do is you upload your design. Now, you can upload. We do have a poster designer inside the platform, so you can upload a picture and create a poster, but about 90% of our customers actually have posters already that they upload. So step two, oh wait, so you can see you can change the fonts, you can change the data points on the poster. And then after you have the poster looking the way you want, you can move on to step two, which is where you sync to your online tour calendar. Currently, we support bands in town, we support uh, Songkick, and you can add your own tour dates. So you pull in the band name, so we use the Dirty Governors, which is a great Tennessee band we like to spread the word about. It'll pull in their tour dates. You select the ones you want, and you hit go. This is where the magic happens. It populates a custom poster for each tour, and then all you have to do is verify the address is correct. We put it in for you, and that all the data you want on the poster is the way you want it. Now, our business model is pretty simple. It's 15 bucks a pop. We send five posters to a gig. That's where it, start, where it starts. If you want more posters sent, uh, to a venue, we can do that too, and the price goes up from there. But the sweet spot of our business model is our system is designed to batch orders by location. And so our system will grab if two bands are playing the same venue in the same window, and we'll send them both. Uh, we've launched less than a year ago. We're profitable. We're bootstrapped. We've got customers from Iceland and Australia. We've sent to 47 states. 
We have shipped to venues as small as people's houses and as large as Madison Square Garden. We have uh, 70% of our customers return for another order. The future for us is we want to build an API. We want to plug it into every website in the world that supports tour dates so that anyone can print band posters, whether you're a band or a fan. And uh, we're here looking for partners that want to get involved with something like that. Uh, and we also want to meet artists, management companies, and concert promoters. And that's band posters. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Questions from the panel? I really, like your, I really like your pitch, your value proposition. I like that how it's, and you guys know that, but I like how it's uh, laser-focused, and we definitely had uh, some of our users give us really good feedback on using your service. My question is, uh, what's on your roadmap? Could, could, you guys, could you guys get the, you know, the merch, the T-shirts, posters a band's going to sell, ship to those venues? Yeah, we can absolutely do that. It's just a matter of if that's where we want to focus. Basically, there's two ways we can go right now. We can go towards on-demand merchandise, and some bands already use us to send posters to venues, and they sell those. Moon Taxi did that. David Gray's tour did that this year. Um, they saw the posters, liked them so much, and said, hey, send us more. We want to sell them. They sell autographs live at the show. Uh, we can expand merch, but we're also looking at how do we automate the full promotional experience for a touring band, not just posters. Do you have uh, how, how does it work if you're if you're shipping very internationally? How much does that cut into the the margins or the cost? Well, currently we only ship in the states because we're still trying to figure that out. Okay. Um, so if you actually know a good printer in Canada, we'd love to talk about this. After. I probably do. I could probably help you find uh, one as, as well as in Europe. So that's actually I'm glad you brought that up because that's something else we actually that's a note we need to crack is printing overseas because th that would cut out of the shipping. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Was there um, any kind of pushback from bands just in terms of pricing or were there any, what were the challenges there? Just kind of trying to get them to understand what you were doing, what you were offering. It seems like it's a great value proposition, especially for bands that have had to go through it. But I'm just curious to know what the challenges were there. Not too much. I mean, there are some artists that are at a level where their, their uh, time is less valuable than their money. You know, and we want to be able to help those artists. Uh, we've worked with a couple of bands, and we do discounts with people like Bandzoogle and lots of different companies to make sure that there's a price offering for everyone. Um, but most of the time, people get it because you're so busy, and it's just one of those things that everybody wants to pass off to somebody else. The artist thinks the manager should do it. The manager thinks the label should do it. The label thinks the promoter should do it, and on and on and on. So the price point hasn't been a barrier for us, at least not yet. Are the bigger booking agencies uh, a target for you guys? Booking agents don't touch posters. You would yeah. think they would because they sit in the middle of the negotiation between the venue and the artist. But currently, we've had the most luck with concert promoters and with management companies. How many artists are currently on your platform? Uh, we've shipped over 1,000 shows this year. Oh, wow. Awesome. So I'm not sure how many artists that calculates into, yeah. but we've shipped a lot of shows. Cool. All right. So that's band posters. Um, thanks. Right. Thank you, guys. Next up is Soundslice, who's joining us from Chicago. Hey, guys. I'm Adrian from Soundslice from Chicago, Illinois. I'll try to prevent some feedback. Uh, this is Soundslice, which is animated, uh, interactive sheet music and guitar tablature. Uh, how many of you actually like learn music or are in the musician part of it as opposed to the fan part of it? Okay. Cool. Uh, so what we do is we make web-based sheet music that's uh, interactive. So uh, here's an example of a, a piece of sheet music on our site. 
And uh, by default, this isn't very exciting. It's the same thing you would have gotten in 1880. Uh, but the, the cool thing is that it's actually interactive. So I can press play here. Uh, and that's an actual recording. It's not a crappy synthetic MIDI thing. It's an actual recording of me playing some gypsy jazz. So the, the concept here is you learn a lot better if you hear the music as you see which where to put your fingers and what notes to play. Now there are a lot of tools built into this that let you basically pick away at the song and reverse engineer it. So for instance, you can highlight a part of the notation and uh, press play and that will loop it. It's going to get really annoying real soon. But if you're at home, that's the way to uh, you know really cement it in. You can slow it down without changing the pitch. With this little slider in the lower left. Uh, right, right in the browser, if you're playing guitar, you can click the fretboard down here, and you can see all the notes that are being used uh, on the real, in real time here. Uh, so that if, if you are not a guitar player, that basically is an, an outline of where you put your fingers. Uh, and you can just drag on the notation, and it'll show you all the places in, in your arbitrary selection, all the notes that will be used in whatever you, uh, you select. Uh, and then because this is all done client-side in the browser, for those of you who are techies, you'll appreciate if you're on a smaller screen, the notation actually gets re-rendered on the fly. So that's, it's a full music engraving engine written entirely in JavaScript. Uh, the business side, so it's a two-person company. I do all the code. My partner, PJ Macklin, does the design based in Chicago. We make money in two ways. We license this to other sites. So here's an example of a guitar education site called Jam Track Central that does these instructional videos and they embed our player right there. We also sell sheet music in this format and we give 70% to artists compared to 10% that they might get from uh, a big publisher like Hal Leonard. Uh, any questions? Panel? What's, what's the process for creating that file? There's a lot of extra data in, in there. How long does it take you to create for a regular song this sort of sheet music on steroids? So we import from five different formats. Uh, so there's a standard called Music XML, the creator of which is in the room, so that's kind of awesome. Uh, and uh, so that's instant. You just upload the file and you get this. If you want to add audio, so if you want audio for that, it'll play by default a synthetic thing that it just does on the fly from the notation. If you want to add audio, you upload an MP3. You can have multiple sources, something I didn't show. Uh, and you... Uh, use our web-based thing to tap out the measures as you listen to it, and that creates the sync points. And eventually that'll be automated to score alignment. It's a kind of a solved problem. We just haven't implemented it yet. You said uh, artists can sell sheet music in this format. Does that happen on your website, or can they like embed that into their website? It happens on our site. Uh, nobody's requested embedding it on their site. They're happy to just link to it. But it's so small potatoes, we only have 10 artists at this point. Okay. So. That could be interesting. Because we, we see a lot of our users sell PDF format sheet music from their website. Yeah, that, so was, maybe that was really cool in 1920. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no uh, websites in 1920. Any, any way to make more money is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I could also see a lot of our clients uh, with on the lyric sites that are a lot of people that come to lyric sites are musicians that are looking to learn a song to perform it and this could fit in really well with that as a point to either 
sell it to them directly through those sites or pass them off to, to you guys to, to give them the opportunity to buy it directly from you. Awesome. Send them my way. <laughs> <laughs> what were the other music sources that you said that uh, you offer there? The, for the notation data? Yeah. So oh, Music inf- XML, okay. uh, which Sibelius, Finale, all the big music programs export to that. Uh, there's something called MEI, which is a Music XML competitor from the academic world. Uh, Guitar Pro, which is a popular app for guitar players. There's like three different formats of theirs and something called PowerTab. And then we're working on MIDI, ABC. We want to be like the Rosetta Stone of all these formats, some of which are dead. Cool. Seems like you could put a good partnership together with a lyrics company. <laughs> yeah, I might know somebody that could help with that. <laughs> oh, for, forgive me if I'm wrong, but um, I think we talked a couple of years ago. Did you start originally with YouTube videos? And yes, you were, yes. You were... The first incarnation of this was a community site that let anybody transcribe any YouTube video. And, and uh, do, then, does that does that functionality? Is you still have that, or do you run into licensing problems? Or yeah, that's still there, and uh, it'll eventually be phased out. It does not support standard notation; it only supports <laughs> these lines and numbers, which was a lot easier to implement. Right. Okay. Uh, but yeah, that is sort of going to be supplanted by this thing. Okay. Great. So that is Sound Slice. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Next, we have Pace DJ, who have come in from San Diego. Uh, my name is Kyle. Uh, I'm a co-founder of GroupMuse. GroupMuse.com is a platform that connects local classical musicians with local audiences so that the community can organically generate its own chamber music house party concert things. They're all listed on GroupMuse.com. It's live Beethoven string quartets in your living room with your friends and your community we're trying to spread more art and beauty in this world, so come on down to a group muse. You should talk to Austin here from CloseUp.fm, another interesting startup in that uh, in that semi space. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Will Turner. I'm the CEO of Pacing Technologies. And our application, Pace DJ, is all about musically optimized performance. And we're here today seeking partnerships with leading streaming services. Because right now, we have the opportunity to transform health and fitness with music. First, a little bit about us. Pace DJ is a patented application that lets you exercise in sync with your music. For some reason, this is not advancing. Um, Oh, whoops. Thank you. (laughs) It allows you to exercise in sync with your music. We've been recommended by the New York Times and Runner's World, among many other publications. The problem that we address generally is that people struggle to remain active And in fact, about two-thirds of the U.S. population struggles to maintain a healthy weight. That's about 200 million people. Related to this, insurers and employers concerned about skyrocketing costs are pushing back on people to try to get them to be more healthy, in part through wellness programs and uh, and monetary incentives. Meanwhile, fitness devices and services like Nike Plus promise to help us become more fit. But they all share the same limitations. 
they fail to, to harness the power, the motivational power of music, as well as the power of music to help you find and sustain your best effort during a workout. Well, that's where Pace DJ comes in. You see, it's based on science. Research shows that when athletes work in time to music, they tend to work harder for longer and have lower perception of exertion than when they exercise without. And today's uh, music streaming services are sitting on a mountain of untapped content that can be used to help transform people's exercise experience. But they can't do it without Pace DJ. More on that later. Here's how the application works. You set a target pace in steps per minute or beats per minute, and the app then creates a playlist that matches. It can also shift the tempo faster or slower to match your, your pace without changing the pitch. You can track your time, distance, and speed and upload it to Facebook. You can also create interval programs with different BPMs for different parts of the workout. Going forward, we plan to add smartwatch integrations, heart rate-based training, and streaming music. And we're, we're scaling up in partnership with leading health and fitness brands and services. There's a lot, there are a lot of reasons for streaming services to want to partner with us. Um, first, our, oh, pardon me, our product is, is established and there's clear demand. About 20% of our user base are paid users, many of whom upgrade from free. We also have an installed base that's in the top 1% on iTunes. Secondly, we're the only company in this space that has a comprehensive portfolio of issued patents that date back to 2005. And finally, our technology is scalable, it's a source of differentiation, and it's a source of new incremental revenue. Questions from our panel. How do you keep the uh, music fresh? So if I'm going on a run on Monday, it's different on Tuesday and Wednesday, et cetera. The answer, the, so the question is, uh, how do you keep it fresh from day to day? I think the answer is you have a deep catalog. Um, currently, the application uses the songs that are saved on your phone. So you're limited to the number of songs you have on your phone. Uh, however, if you tie in with the streaming service, obviously there'd be a lot more content available. The uh, users that are paying, how much are they paying? What's the model? Well, currently we're selling, a, we have a free app that we advertise through, and then we have in-app purchases. You pay uh, two ninety nine for the paid version that includes BPM shifting and interval training and, and more to come. Uh, but down the line, the goal is to create a recurring subscription, say about $3 a month. Uh, that could be an incremental additional amount of money that a streaming service could earn on top of, of their current so you'd share that revenue with the, with the streaming services? Or like Most likely, yeah. But what's, maybe I'm ignorant, but what's preventing you from using the APIs that exist now? With, like with Spotify, for example. Well, uh, Spotify is a great example. Um, you actually can't monetize a Spotify stream currently. Using the a API... Uh, the license that's available publicly. Uh, and so if you want to do some type of monetization, you actually have to have a conversation with Spotify. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, Shane, can you fix that? Uh, yeah, we, we, we actually are working on that, and there actually have been a few apps that are out in the marketplace, but we can talk about that afterwards. But, um, but you are right. For just general use of uh, the Spotify API, you can't just go and take it and then commercialize it. So... Um, it's a fair point, but it's something that we're trying to break down as well. So we'll that's great to after. hear. Yeah. Good. Great. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you very much.
right, next up is Gigstarter, who came all the way from Ireland. And if anyone wants to do the little pitch, I'm going to get the microphone. Hey there. Uh, my name is Alex. I'm from Groove. And we're building a app, an ecosystem that allows uh, novices and non-musicians to create music using tech, like the ability to create instruments that let non-musicians easily create something that sounds good, and then doing something like Instagram for music, so taking it and performing an analysis on it and finding tracks that go with it, and then letting them mix it very quickly and easily, provide filters and things like that. So, Thanks. Anyone else? There is one guy behind you in the gray shirt there. Uh, Fitz Holiday, founder of WeGo Concerts. Um, we are an event, discovery, social networking, and dating app. Uh, just launched actually last week in L.A., but we're available in D.C., New York, San Francisco, and L.A. Um, scans of music on your phone. Uh, you can also link your Spotify audio accounts. We're adding SoundCloud, Beats, and Hype Machine. Um, so once we know what music you listen to, you can swipe through people in your area, see where you overlap on friends in common, uh, music interests in common, more importantly, uh, live music in common. So we're trying to connect people around live music, either for dating or for friendship. Who's up next? Anyone? Hi, my name is Noah Tavars, and I'm the founder of a company called Concert. We're an organization and management service for music venues and festivals. We're meant to replace the giant Excel spreadsheets that they currently use with something designed for live music. Concert. Concertapp.com. Hey, everyone. I'm Jared Schaefer, founder of The Tribe App. Uh, the Tribe App is a social network and marketplace for fans, artists, and live music events. Uh, what that looks like right now is a check-in service where you can find shows within 60 miles of your location, and you can check into the show if you're within two hours or two miles of the location. Um, the event has a timeline that everyone can post to and a collaborative photo gallery. Maybe one more? Hello, uh, my name's Todd. I'm co-founder of an app called Platforms. Uh, we're an aggregator, so people don't have to go to SoundCloud, AudioMac, MixCloud, all the various music streaming sites, and search for music on individually. Uh, we aggregate to all of them in one place. Thank you. Can you ask the guy with the New York Rangers cap what he does? Uh, what's what his pitch is? <laughs> That's I'm a great business model. I'm here to support Google and everything that, that David Dufresne does. Good afternoon. I hope you're well. My name is Donald Scannell. I'm the CEO of Gigstarter. We opened our San Francisco office yesterday. I'm glad to report. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And, and today, nobody is there. They're all here. <laughs> so we use crowdfunding um, to transform the live music industry. The live music industry is horribly inefficient. But using our platform, artists can make 33% more uh, per ticket sold through us. Uh, our team uh, revolves around uh, myself, and uh, I promoted my first show when I was 12. I've managed bands a lot. I've been a DJ, record label owner. And my co-founder, Sebastian, uh, runs U2.com and, and founded that and scaled that up. And then we've got uh, Brian as our CTO and Bernie doing marketing. Um, we're looking to scale that team a little bit. And uh, the problem we're solving is uh, the brutal inefficiency of the live music industry. Gigs are still organized now the same way they were 70 years ago. The manager engages an agent. Oh, cool. The artist engages an agent. The agent engages a promoter. The promoter engages the venue. The venue goes to ticketing. And only then, when all of these elements are sorted out, is the fan consulted. And each of these people in the supply chain is taking their cut as they go. So the average ticket price, an artist is doing well to get 20 to 25% of, of the gross ticket price into their pocket when everything's being paid for. So with Gigstarter, we have a very simple 
but very revolutionary solution, which is crowdfunding. You go out to your audience, you sell pledges, and you only commit to costs when you've sold enough pledges to cover them. It's really, really simple, but it fundamentally shifts the power to the artist side. So within the app, you go in and you select where you want a, the artist to come to. We're going to have it zip coded soon. You just pop in your zip code and we'll be using the salesman algorithm to route the tours. We're doing multiple ticket types, whales, dolphin, minnow type um, methodology there to extract the maximum revenue out of people. The live music industry, the top 1% of artists generate $23 billion a year. And the other 99%, nobody knows because they're too inefficient to monetize it, and you could say they care. Now, am I stuck to the same timing? We'll, we'll cut you some slack. Cool, sweet. So David Gray, uh, we're just about to do our third tour with David Gray. He is going to retool his entire touring career around Gigstarter. He says the Gigstarter model is the future for him, and he says it's for two really good reasons. On a $50 ticket, using Gigstarter, David's making an extra $15 net for himself, extra, and he gets a 50% organic fan reach on Facebook when he's rooting tours in the Facebook, in the Gigstarter way. Fans aren't used to being consulted about where their favorite bands should play. But it's not just about big artists. We also work with brand new artists. John Smith used Gigstarter to play his first ever show in Los Angeles in September, and he made money. Who does that from a foreign country in LA the first time out? John Smith, that's who. Our revenue model is really simple. 92% goes to artists, 8% goes to little old Gigstarter. We, we can sell ticks, merchandise, experiences, and even recordings. We're here in San Francisco, we set up shop, we're looking for investors, we're looking for core partners, and we're also looking for other partners. And the other partners bit is really important because we're changing the definition of what a concert promoter is. A concert promoter in the old way is a dumb cash flow provider. In our model, a concert promoter is someone who can partner with a band to help them sell tickets. Isn't that pretty revolutionary, selling yeah. tickets? So thank you very Fabulous. much. Fabulous. Questions? When you get a, a pledge from somebody, are they basically, they're basically saying, I will go, I will buy a ticket to this concert if they come, come here. Uh, what are the criteria around that? Is there like a, a radius of distance that they're willing to travel or a date range or a price range? And how many different factors do you have into that? Well, yeah, there's, so there's a few unknowns. And the biggest unknown is the date. So you have a date range. It could be a month. It could be a fortnight. And we have a pop-up where people can select dates that are not available. We've sold, I think, 17,000 tickets. And out of that, only half a percent of people changed their mind after the gig was confirmed. Because we've given everyone a chance for a refund. Less than half a percent of people have looked for a refund. Um, the, the location depends how you specify it. You may specify a city. You may specify a county. You may specify an area. So we've done some experiments in Dublin City, dividing Dublin City into different areas to see if artists can play more than one show in Dublin. So there's a lot of variables, and the artists have control over those as well. But you bill the fan right away. There's, it's, not, it's not going... Or no, they're, it's a they're not billed. Going under, You're okay. just taking an authorization on the card. Gotcha, okay. Just like, just like just Kickstarter. Like Kickstarter. Yeah. Got it. Taking the authorization, but not charging them. So that, but then as soon as it's confirmed, then you bill them, and then they can, if they can't make the day or something like that, then they can get a they refund? refund or? But, but we've discovered that people who can't make it, they don't tend to look for the refund. 
So we've seen people not show up for shows but not cancel their booking because they want to support the artists they love. And, and that's happened far more than people looking to change the date or look for a refund. And they're lazy. Why you yes, go, go for it. Uh, I was just curious, what uh, has the reception been like with uh, concert promoters? So are they happy to have a gig that you've already sold out for them? Or is there a, any kind of competition there? Well, there's a whole different ways to slice it. So we don't have to sell all the tickets for a show. So in the general scalable model for larger artists, we would see Gigstarters covering the guarantee. And then you're going to a promoter and you're saying, we've sold 400 tickets. What can you do with that? What can you take that to? And so the promoter's not coming and going, I'll give you 100 grand. You know, because a lot of the promoter stuff is a bidding war. And it's about how deep your pockets are. This is actually about selling. So it changes the relationship with the promoters. So originally we thought promoters would completely hate us. But some of them have been into it. Because they've been saying, you know what? Agents tell us all this stuff. We, we can't believe them. We, don't, we can't believe what the agents are saying. At least with your system, it's verified. So they are welcoming that. But different types of promoters. The promoter who benefits the most from us are the ones who own the venues. Right. Because they're going to get their revenue anyway. They're, they're only using gigs to fill their venues. Um, promoters who don't own the venues, who are resistant to change, are the ones who have the most to fear from this system. Got it. Any questions? One of your slides had uh, 50% organic fan reach on Facebook. Yeah, what does yeah. that mean? So it basically means, so in David's example, David's got like 450,000 Facebook fans. Okay. So he announced a Gigstarter tour, one post, and in 24 hours he'd reached over 220,000 of them with no boosting. <laughs> and the reason he reached so many people was they were sharing and commenting like lunatics. So when you have a really good narrative and you're letting people in, you can game Facebook. Have you done any shows in the States yet? I mean, with the rise of Live Nation, the promoters own the venues, and I don't know that they'd be as welcoming as you might think. Well, the promoters don't own all the venues or all the rooms in creation. You know, so, and, and they, use, they use their ownership of venues in a really unfair, anti-competitive way. So we're trying to break that relationship, and the venue owners spend a lot of time and energy mythologizing their venues, which are just rooms at the end of the day. So we have ways around that. So there's flexibility with venues. And there are more rooms to put shows on in than there are shows. So we're going to be working around that. And this whole stranglehold of venues, it has to end. Because the live music industry, it's absolutely weird and disgraceful and despicable and nonsensical how it's run. And it's going to change really, really soon. Yeah, or a different venue. Uh, the most important thing in our world in terms of putting a show on is our insurance broker. We've got one of the best insurance brokers in the world who deals with all the biggest acts in the world and we can put shows on in places that we couldn't three years ago because the way insurance has changed and how, how much cheaper insurance has gone. Insurance is 10% less now for shows than it was 30 years ago. It costs us 300 euros, about $400, to insure a 2,000 capacity show. And that would have cost, cost $3,000 30 years ago. And that's been a huge change for us. That's not even technological. And that unlocks venues for us. Also, PAs have gotten much smaller and much cheaper. And it's much easier to get good sound. So we're going, whatever venues you want, we don't care. All that matters is the artist and the fan. That's all you need to put on a show. Everything else is something you can order off the shelf. I, I would love for you to introduce me to them. <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. Great. Thank you very much. All right, I think we're going to have to close it down for you. Um, love what you're doing. Thanks.
Another international company next, Conductor from Barcelona. Anyone want to do pitch for your company while we're waiting? How about any companies that could work with some of the companies who have already presented? Do you want to pitch to them? Or artists who might use these companies? Hi, my name is Jeremy Koff. Actually, two pitches. I'm a board member of the Fender Music Foundation. If you want to work with the foundation, come to me. Second, I've worked with about 1,000 artists showcasing them live. Uh, you in particular, it uh, would be a great uh, potential partnership. So uh, my name is Jeremy Koff. Grab a card. Anyone else? Hi, my name's Corey Brown. I am Brown Butter. I basically do business and product development analysis and consultation for startups in the music tech sector. Uh, I've been in the music business for 20 years, ran my own label for 15 of those, and uh, there's just so much great emerging technology here, so many great ideas, and a lack of penetration into the music side of things uh, from a strategic standpoint, from a contact standpoint, and that's pretty much, uh, pretty much what I do. All right, we'll get started. Okay, hi, I'm Uriel from Barcelona, and I'm a musician. And uh, when I got my first iPad, I was very excited. I mean, really excited. It was like, I can make music with my fingers, and I got all those music apps available, and it was like, wow. But, you know, the more you get excited, the more you become disappointed when things are not as you expected, and they were definitely not. All those music apps were... Uh, just imitation of traditional instruments like pianos, guitars, uh, synthesizers, sequencers on a 10 inches screen. Come on. So, um, and they were asking me to do same as always, like strumming strings, turning knobs, pushing buttons, and they were this bloody tinny, right? So, um, my friends here, Albert and Julia, who are also. Uh, Musicians and engineers, they were as disappointed as I was. So we started thinking about how could we change the way we make music in the mobile era? How could we provide musicians and DJs with a unique 100% mobile-oriented user experience? So we developed Conductor. It's a music-making app that makes sense on an iPad. And it's not just our saying. It's a Berkeley College of Music, point blank, dub spot. It's a positive reviews everywhere. And most important is the uh, thousands of artists already using it uh, worldwide. Conductor is a framework where you can add uh, modules like instruments, MIDI controllers, sequencers, DJ tools. You get only what you want, only what you need, and you can design your own workstation. As an MVP, uh, Conductor uh, features uh, MIDI control modules. But what do we mean with this super pretentious tagline, changing the way we make music? We are mainly speaking about giving you the chance to play music in a way that you cannot do with hardware. We mean that you can adapt the screen to see only what you need at any given time. We mean that you can play with a four-dimensional XY controller. We mean that you can play with a keyboard like you've never done before. We even mean 
that you can play without watching the iPad, just depending on how many fingers you use. So um, Conductor is a freemium app. You can in-app purchase your favorite models. Our main market is the United States, so thank you, America. And uh, we are currently seeking for a seed round. We have very good-looking numbers, and we'll be glad to share them with you. Thank you very much. Questions from the panel? Uh, do you have any artists that you can talk about that have been using here? Yeah, here in San Francisco is, uh, I don't know if you know this guy, Jimmy Chung, No Such Thing. He's uh, playing kind of a weird hip-hop thing. He was playing in Barcelona 15 days ago with Mode Selector. Uh, yeah, there's also this uh, guy, uh, Rock, or R-A-C, who plays uh, EDM. He's also a supporter since day one. Uh, there are artists in England, Germany, Italy, uh, Spain, of course, Japan. Kind of all. Very cool. So the basic app is free. What's the, what are the upsells? Because uh, you get the framework uh, with the limited features, and you in-app purchase the modules, the complete version of the modules you need. So that means that also the uh, lifetime value gets longer as many models you, you launch. And you keep creating new modules? Sure. How much, like how much are the modules? Uh, the cheapest one is like $7 or so, and the full pack right now as an MVP is 20 bucks. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Sykes Research will be next from Santa Clara. And uh, he's up for pitching. Any artists in the audience that have any comments about what we discussed? I, th I think we have a pitch at the back. Oh. Hi, everybody. My name is Jay LaBeouf. Uh, I am running a nonprofit called Real Industry. So if the following companies, uh, Pandora, Spotify, Dolby, Avid, um, Smule, um, any of those companies, Isotope, Adobe, if those sound interesting, uh, what, non what Real Industry does, we have an online course. Uh, we've worked with all those companies to try to help students and people who want to break into the music and audio tech industry understand what the roles responsibilities and skill sets are actually at those companies and I've worked at a lot of them and uh, that's the beauty of the nonprofit. I want to help you guys kind of learn what we learn you know through years and years being in industry so that way you can be more competitive when you're applying for these jobs so if you're interested uh, check it out at realindustry.org thanks I think we're ready to get started on this one we are okay hi my name is Mark Riesinger uh, CEO founder of Sykes Research uh, I want to start with an analogy, and um, so if I were to if I were to shine a strobe light in in your face, and I was holding a sign up, would you be able to read it right away? Anybody in this room, Superman? No, right? Because vision, just like our hearing system, is an adaptive, living, reactionary process. It's not we're not perfect. It's not quantized. It certainly isn't digital, and. Um, and no two people in the world actually hear alike, which is a fact. Um, these are my two co-founders, Paul Beckman, Dr. Paul Beckman and Robert Reams. Combined, 
these two gentlemen here have over 50 first-to-market, world-class audio products that they've developed and patented and licensed to the biggest broadcasters, uh, streaming providers, uh, gaming um, developers, automotive manufacturers, and consumer electronics manufacturers in the world. Um, so what we did is we, we, we basically started Sykes to address a void in the industry. Um, 40% of the global music industry, which is about 15, hovering around $15 billion, is derived from digital music revenues. And what does that mean? That means there's a lot of compressed music out there. Um, I don't think compressed, compressed music has ever stood for quality. I don't think anybody ever hears a compressed song and goes, man, that sounds better than the original or as good as the original. Um, I think it's been, since the launch of the iPod, it's been quantity over quality. And what we're trying to do is bring back the quality of compressed music. So what we've done is we've identified, and as our name alludes, Sykes, um, our queries of innovation are psychoacoustics, pre-processing, post-processing, and surround sound. Um, in terms of our latest product, which is the Sykes app, uh, we've developed this for essentially over about 15 years of research and innovation in listener fatigue. What causes listener fatigue? Um, how does it reduce time spent listening? And that's everybody's challenge is to increase the time that people spend listening to music or using a product. The four main areas that um, are problem areas for compressed music, and this goes for every compressed song in the world, including streams that are being put out there, is spectrum sparsity, so the removal of information, uh, the narrowed image uh, as a result of the compression, digital artifacts which are introduced into every compressed song out there, and over-equalization or under-equalization in response to codec expectation. I'm not going to go through all of this, but this is our solution. We have 170 algorithms in this process, in this app, um, using uh, 50, 50 million instructions per second. And so really what we're going to do is invite all of you guys to come up to our suite so you can actually hear this because I'm running out of time. The yellow cards are telling me. Um, but we, we elicit some pretty interesting things like kinesilic recruitment, which is the outer three rows of hair cells in your cochlea um, to keep them awake, and we increase the spectrum density of the actual music. All of this is happening adaptively, going back to that analogy that I, that I made in the beginning. Um, our hearing system is adaptive. Our process is fully adaptive. It is the most adaptive, powerful process for compressed music on the planet today. It can be applied pre- or post-processing. So for <clears throat> customers like a Spotify or Pandora, um, we can actually employ this before the actual point of transmission, saving the, the broadcaster uh, 50 percent, 50 to 70 percent bandwidth, and improving the, the end result, the quality of the end result. So I'm over, I'm over my time, but we were going to play a demo. Please join us. Um, and this is kind of our replacement for the presets like rock, pop, classical, and jazz that are pretty much gone. So we care about how compressed the song is, the era of the song, the listener's hearing condition, the expectations of the listener, and the playback medium. So please join us in room 605 for a demo. We'd love to let you uh, hear the app and give you a free version of it. Um, it's $4.99 on the App Store, but we'll be, we'll be giving it away today for free if you join us at 605. Thank you very much. Anytime after 4.30. So you can uh, apply this, you can buy the app and then sync it with your Spotify or Pandora or any other streaming services you have? 
the app syncs with your phone, so the existing music library. Okay. The preconditioning is something completely separate that would be deployed basically at the point of transmission at Spotify. We also have hemispherical surround, so we can upmix. We don't use object-based technology. We use cross-correlation to essentially track images. It can be mixed and edited. We can up-render 256 channels from a two-channel stream. Um, we have dialogue tools that reside in the TV. We have digital mobile TV broadcast uh, tools and technologies. But the brain trust of our company is, is really the, you know, the, these guys are really talented, extremely talented and, and well, you know, respected in the industry in terms of DSP and psychoacoustics. Do you, <laughs> do you, do you um, expect to focus mostly on mobile or, because I, I still have crappy earphones, regardless of how good the signal is, but, but at home, my, you know, kids play Pandora through the television and there are real speakers, so, so are, where's the main area of focus? Uh, well, we, we design technologies for the, the entire ecosystem, from content creation to mixing, editing, to broadcasting, to actual playback. So, again, we're changing the way people think about music quality. It's not about necessarily the speakers, but it's about the content. Nobody's thinking about what happens when you compress a song. The inventor of, of MP3 actually left Microsoft to work for Robert Reams at Neural Audio, and that's where all of this began about 10 years ago. Um, so we really understand compression and what happens to songs when they're compressed and how to improve you know, the, the, the streams that are on the air and how to, we actually add a Z-axis, a third axis to the song. So when you're in your car, you can really hear it. You know, you can really, it's immersive. And well, it's again, that's about the better else. speakers, right? So, so if, if I've got... No, yeah, there, I, I could be in a Yugo or I can be in a Bentley. And it's, a, it's really, it's about the content. Well, it, it really, it is. Because, I mean, in, in, in any car, you're going to get an improvement. Uh, it's going to be noticeable. I mean, this is a revolutionary technology that should reside in every playback device out there. Cars, AVRs, phones, upstream for, with the streaming provider, and, and that's kind of our goal. But how, how does your technology know that Patrick is in a Yugo? Well, like it, it has, it has so that literally is what, what he drives. What I couldn't, <laughs> what I couldn't get into because I ran out of time was we've included six color profiles. We call them ear prints. So he has to pick his profile for where he you is. You get or six in the what app. Is, okay. and, and basically, it, there's more to it than that because the song could be a seven, it could be a 60s or 70s song, era song or it could be electronica. He could be in a Yugo. He could be in a plane. And but yeah, a but you guys aren't noise. a consumer business, right? The main opportunity is licensing? Correct. We have, I assume? We have one consumer product and it's the app. Okay, and then you, you, you're going to try to license this to every streaming provider, every internet radio. Exactly. Um, we sold our last company to DTS in 2009. I, I get it. So this is like... This is the, the app is a proof of concept, more or less. Exactly. exactly. You have to hear it, though. You really have to hear it if you're interested, because it, it'll blow you away. It's nothing like anything you've ever heard. We have competitors. But, but if you but if you talk to if you talk to those providers, is so your main value proposition is sound quality, or is it just like lower bandwidth or both? Lower bandwidth and quality. The first Robert actually deployed the first commercial preconditioning um, platform with XM Radio in 2000. Tripled their bandwidth availability. Tripled their ad revenue. So that's we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars a year. So it's it's a you know it's a big deal. And and he invented audio preconditioning. So there's 
there's nothing that predates his his work. So, and he's a very serious man. <laughs> All right. If we have any Thank time at so the much. end, we can possibly throw back in your demo. We'll see. All right. Thank cool. you. Thanks. Next, we have an SF-based company. Uh, listen in. Who's ready to do a pitch? Some people just walked in the room. Some of those guys. Um, we're asking people if they want to do pitches for their company quickly while we're changing it up. So for the new folks who just walked in, if you want to raise your hand, if you're interested. We'll get you next time. Sorry. <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is George Gale. Uh, I am a co-founder of Silent Storm Sound System. Excuse me one second. Uh, we are a silent disco company. Uh, anyone here familiar with the concept of silent disco? Great, cool. Uh, so we provide wireless headphone technology for events. We work with brands, uh, museums. We have events outside. Um, and we started out in 2009. This past year, we decided to build an app that essentially duplicates what our hardware does through software. <clears throat> uh, this is me and my partner, Sarah, who isn't here today to to drive the presentation, so I'm kind of... Balance in both. So Listen In is the name of our app, uh, which is the di digital manifestation of, um, of the silent disco concept. Um, our mission is to uh, provide a perfectly synchronized social listening experience across multiple smartphones, um, make it as accessible for people as possible to be able to share a social listening experience with friends, um, make it as scalable as possible, and be ubiquitous when it comes to silent discos on uh, mobile phones. Uh, currently, the, the hardware business requires people ordering the equipment, so this makes it a much more accessible for people. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with Silent Disco, um, this is what it sounds like. I'm not plugged in, but... Um, just a taste of that. So the benefits are, uh, by using our system, you can avoid having large speaker systems. Uh, you can go around noise ordinances and uh, amplified sound curfews. You can have different channels of music so people can choose what they're listening to. So everyone can be on the same dance floor. Some people can be listening to hip hop, some EDM, some funk, some ballroom dancing. So it's, uh, it, it keeps people together. Um, you have full control over your volume, turned up to 11. Um, in my opinion, and also you hear the music the way it's meant to be heard, the way it was produced in the studio. So you have the same audio quality no matter where you are, whether you're in line for the restroom or right in front of the DJ booth. Uh, it's going to be perfect stereo sound. Uh, this is what the app uh, looks like. It's very simple. It's, it it uh, solves a very simple issue of just syncing music between friends' phones. Uh, we're the only silent disco company with an app. Um, we have a version that syncs over Wi-Fi as well as uh, cellular data, and uh, it's proprietary 
unlike most uh, hardware silent disco equipment that most companies use. Um, it's also patent pending. Um, the coolest feature is the external sound audio source. Um, so in addition to Spotify, SoundCloud, and your music library, a DJ can connect their DJ equipment to their app, use that to broadcast whatever they're playing live to everyone else that is listening in. Um, there's lots of applications. You can stop sharing headphones, um, group outings to the beach, to the park, uh, group rides, <clears throat> bar crawls. We know everything is better with music. Um, you know, it can go into uh, the aging population. As phone, smartphones become more prevalent with the aging population, they're going to have more access to these apps. Um, and, you know, children can enjoy music synced up with their their parents or their their grandparents. <clears throat> uh, silent fitness is also becoming more popular, so that's another application. Um, and something else that's down the line is uh, potentially even connecting the app to different TVs at sports bars and having um, people be able to select what they're listening to. So the ladies can watch football and the guys can get on the dance floor and break it down. <laughs> um, we launched in April. We have about uh, 4,000 downloads to date. We haven't spent any money on marketing. Um, we just got picked up by BBC last week, which gave us a little spike. Um, monetization, you know, it's a, it's a really surreal experience. It's great for uh, brands to be able to uh, assign their, their brand to that experience. Um, sponsored content, DJs can release an album and have a, a listening party. Um, subscription model, a DJ can pay for the ability to... Uh, connect their music to, you know, from their, from their turntable to the app. You can do like a, a $2 per, per month unlimited use or um, if Spotify and other um, services enable us to, to monetize off of playing music from, uh, from Spotify, for example, um, that's another in-app purchase uh, possibility. Someone can pay 99 cents to play from, from Spotify. Um, DJs can sell virtual tickets that there is a possible profit sharing model there, um, and we'd also like to uh, provide an SDK or an API for people to incorporate this uh, this technology into their own ads, uh, into their own apps. And we've got a couple of requests already, ads, of course, as well, which is our last uh, uh, pref preferred monetization. Um, so yeah, we're we're looking to uh, make some strategic partnerships and. Um, uh, build out an Android version as well as other platforms. Um, we'd like to add voiceover uh, for audio tours or uh, or uh, fitness. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, sorry for going over. <laughs> so I, I didn't have time for a demo, but um, if you would like, if you go to listen.in, it's L-Y-S-N dot, uh, dot I-N, and um, you can give it a go. Uh, give it a try. Thanks. Maybe a silent disco at the uh, reception tonight? That's what there, I was thinking. Yeah. Would, you, would you like to DJ? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just really want to see the visual of a crowded dance floor with everybody dancing to a different song and can, see how that, I, that can, possibly works. Can the app sync the drugs that everyone takes? <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think so. <laughs> That's a really cool. Uh, that's a really cool use of uh, Prezi for your presentation. By the Thank way, you. well done. Uh, so, are you? 
Sorry. <laughs> are you are you mainly targeting uh, users of of the app where they sort of like bring their own headphones and and just connect to their own device, or are you doing venue stuff where they would provide the headphones? That you, uh, could, you could kind of go both ways because you can make it really accessible and, and have the users bring their own headphones. That way they have full <laughs> control over the quality of the audio. So if they have really nice headphones, they can bring those. At the same time, it gives brands uh, the opportunity to demo their headphones and create this social, uh, you know, interactive um, event. Um, that's really surreal, especially to people walking by, and uh, it turns heads. So. Cool. Good. This, this works really well. Um, Boombotics made an app called Sync, mm -hmm. but expressly just for the little speakers for the yep. group for the group ride. So it's nice to see this extended to. Fitness or yeah, yeah, that's a good point because you can also sync up uh, loudspeakers and and you know boombox speakers or jamboxes. Um, you could even market within the app um, these types of affiliate products like a sub pack or speakers or Mophies to extend your battery life. So it's another monetization avenue. Great. All right. Thanks so much. Thank All right. Uh, Foncert who are from Denver and Brooklyn. Um, and I think we have time for maybe one or two pitches in between. If anyone wants to give a pitch of their company, feel free to raise your hand. Anybody? No. We need some entertainment. So, uh, <laughs> D David, this is your second pitch competition in two days. Tell us about a startup that you've seen that you like that isn't in this room. That isn't in this room. Uh, where's the guy from Nyland? How about you give your 30-second pitch? <coughs> uh, okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you. That's improvisation. Uh, 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I already lost like 15. Yeah. Uh, so we are uh, Nyland. I'm Damien uh, from Paris. I'm the co-founder of Nyland. We do music <coughs> search engine and music recommendation engine based on uh, acoustic analysis and um, machine learning. So basically we extract a little signature, very small one, allowing us to compare two tracks and to decide if they are very close, a bit close, or very far away. And using this technology, <coughs> we power music li licensing platforms, for instance, uh, allowing those platforms to give their users the ability to do requests like, oh, I'm looking for a track that sounds like Bob Dylan, but with a girl singing, for instance. Um, so we are powering licensing platform and we are in the process of doing the next step API for powering uh, streaming platforms to give the possibility to people to make recommendation on user-generated content, for instance, like SoundCloud stuff and anything that where you cannot find enough data to make recommendation. And that's all about 30 second <laughs> well up. Thank you. <laughs> but thank you very thank much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hi. Good. Uh, we are, uh, my name is Jonathan Schultz. I am the co-founder of Foncert. Um, I don't know how many of you are huge live music fans like myself, but um, good, good. I'm sure there's been many times where you've missed a show or 
worse. You if, will if this room is your target market, you're in trouble. Uh, <laughs> you're doing it wrong. <laughs> but worse, um, you wake up the next morning and say, oh my gosh, did that really happen? How do, I, how do I listen to that again? And then search for months or years for finding that recording. Uh, Fonsert actually allows bands that are touring on a national basis or even just even in the local area to deliver a live soundboard audio stream to fans that can't make the show and also archive that show in order to deliver that show to fans who ultimately are searching for it to relive that experience. The, the working artist may only record one album every 18 months, uh, but they may play 100, 150 shows a year. It's a huge amount of content to be able to start to capitalize and monetize and ultimately to satiate the demand that their fans have for unique and new content on a, on a regular basis. In addition, for venues, it allows them to stream across borders uh, from the fans' uh, perspective. They are able to um, create a name for themselves in places outside their local area, potentially creating new ticket sales uh, for events that are coming up, um, and ultimately offering a, an extra service for the artist that um, wants to deeply engage with their fans. Ultimately, our, our customers are loving it, and, and this is awesome feedback for, the, for both the bands and the, uh, the venues. Um, along with our analytics, that allow people to find, or the bands to find out, you know, where people are listening from, how long they're listening. Um, these are all great things that they can start to engage in a, on a deeper level with, the, with their fans. Our performance indicators have been really good. We've streamed over 600 shows um, in just, uh, just about a year. Uh, over 350 nationally touring artists. We've seen over 50,000 unique listeners. Um, and these guys stick around. Um, they listen on an average of over 30 minutes per show, and over 50% of them come back to listen to other live shows and the archive. Our technology is incredibly easy to use. Um, you plug directly into the soundboard, and we're developing a streams device that's actually going to allow the artist, as they walk on stage, to literally pull out their phone, hit play, and they're live. Um, and it also allows them to record uh, the raw audio for post-production so that they can ultimately decide what they want in that archive um, and create demand by um, having an ever-changing library. Uh, the monetization, we've talked about a lot uh, today. Um, ultimately, we're talking about um, you know, subscription fees, advertising, uh, storage for the, the actual shows themselves, um, and branded channels uh, for artists and venues. Ultimately, our team, uh, my partner Stuart and I, have uh, been friends and known each other since the fourth grade, and uh, Brian and Robert um, have been an integral part in uh, building the app and also the, um, the device, and ultimately, uh, we've got a great team. They actually were also behind Jamcard, if anybody has, uh, was upstairs to, to see that. Um, if you have any questions, certainly uh, would love I, to answer them. I, I do have a question. Um, 50,000 listeners, how many were concurrent with the live show and how many came back to, to actually just go in the archives? Yeah, sure. It, it depends on the artist. Um, you know, what, we, what is the peak? Uh, so for an artist like uh, Lotus, which is a fairly large band that sell, you know, sells out Red Rocks, um, we've seen upwards of 
1,000, 1,200, and they've done multiple shows. Um, then those people are coming back, and like I said, um, we've seen about 50%. We haven't necessarily been able to narrow it down to see how many times they're coming back and listening to the same show again and again and again, um, but they are coming back to listen to those shows ultimately. And how long do the archives live in the system? That's up to the artist. Um, the artists have the ability to make them active or inactive, so they can basically create the demand by saying, we want to put up this show for the next week, and then we want to pull it down. We might want to put it back up again, but we might replace it with a different show. So it really gives the artist the control of what they want to give to their fans um, on a regular basis. Do you have any um, issues on the publishing side if bands play any cover songs, things like that? Um, you know, obviously with being members of BMI, ASCAP and things, we've got that, that cover. The venues cover a lot of that also from that standpoint. But, um, you know, we deal with most of the bands that we're dealing with are playing their own their own their own music and they do have their live publishing rights from that standpoint yeah the, the venues wouldn't cover the rebroadcast not the rebroadcast correct right yeah. okay. great thanks so much we have uh, two more companies left light for sound is next up anyone up for a pitch all right, I'm going to pull up Brian Zisk then. Turn to the person to your right and introduce yourself. Time's up. Time's up. I'm serious. We're, we're starting. We're done talking? All right. We're going to get started. Um, if any of you people in the back want to sit, we have some seats up here. Feel free to come in. Good afternoon. My name is Tor Lundgren, and this is my colleague, Lee Haddad. Our company is Light for Sound, and we are the inventors of the OPIC, the optical guitar pickup. Uh, just to make absolutely sure we're all on the same page here, this is an electric guitar. <laughs> and here are some pickups. Uh, a pickup is a device on a musical instrument that converts the string vibrations into electrical signals for amplification. And here's the patent for the original pickup circa 1934. The OPIC is the pickup reinvented for the 21st century, reshaping the sound of the guitar in a way that hasn't happened since the 1930s. Our first product uh, is a drop-in replacement for the traditional magnetic pickup. The OPIC uses optical technology to deliver a broader and deeper frequency response, resulting in a richer, truer depiction of the guitar's tone with a variety of ways to program, uh, program, customize, and modulate the tone right as it comes off the strings, uh, the optical guitar pickup will allow for a leaner configuration with more tonal range. So imagine 
the natural sound palette as a color wheel. Today's magnetic pickup is limited to a small selection of colors. The OPIC gives you all the colors. As you can see here, the OPIC delivers better high and low frequency response, better balance, a broader range of tones. In other words, the resulting sound is more natural uh, with broader frequency response than a traditional magnetic pickup. You can adjust the OPIC directly with controls on the guitar, and the presets can be customized from any mobile device. It's a drop-in replacement for a humbucker, and you can wire this into your guitar. Uh, just like a regular pickup, the switches, the tone, and, uh, and volume work the same way. And you can easily change the tone of the instrument on the fly. So with a flick of a knob or the push of a button, you have the whole pickup on your guitar. Excuse me, you have the whole new pickup on your guitar. So the volume and tone of each string can be adjusted independently or as a group. In future upgrades, the OPIC will include stereo output, MIDI transduction, uh, and various effects as tremolo and amplitude modulation. Oops, sorry. Uh, the strings can be made of steel, nylon, gut, silk, in fact, pretty much any kind of material, natural or synthetic, that you can think of. You can make into a string, obviously. We'll be selling the OPIC directly to consumers starting in 2015. If you're interested in hearing more about beta testing or pre-orders, please come talk to us afterwards. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. So you're seeing this as a retrofit market? Yes, that's correct. It's, it's relatively easy to replace the pickups in your guitars, okay. and that's correct. Are you thinking of launching a new, like, eventually a line of guitars? Well, actually, funny you say that. That's the existing competitors for optical pickups have to have their own guitar, uh, and that's one of the downsides. This is a drop-in replacement for humbucker and eventually other sizes, so uh, we see it as an advantage. And eventually, we'll, we'd certainly love to talk to some of the big hardware manufacturers and uh, put them in other guitars as well. Any other questions? I have no musical talent whatsoever, so if I tried to ask a question, I'd look like an idiot. Any questions from uh, any musicians in the audience who might use this? This gentleman over here. I have more of a statement than a question, but you're also immune to electromagnetics also. Ah, let me let my partner in on this. Uh, yes, unlike a magnetic pickup, which is basically a pretty nice antenna built into your guitar, we don't have that problem. Can you simulate the homage? <laughs> I guess if that's what you're looking for, sure. <laughs> yes. But can we get you in the mic? Sorry. Compared to a humbucker pickup, what's the cost ratio? Uh, the um, uh, this we're still in prototyping phase, so we're not exactly sure what the cost will be. But we're targeting sort of high end to be approximately the same as a high end pickup. You know, in the hundred dollar. $150 range, something like that. Um, in the future, would this pickup be able to work for other acoustic instruments, like a violin or stringed instruments, bowed instruments? Yes, absolutely. That's uh, a, a really interesting market for us because um, on the prototypes, we've actually heard people comment that it sounds a little more like an acoustic guitar. And, for example, our pickup has a much broader frequency range, so one instrument that I think we're really interested in is, besides acoustic guitars, is also like acoustic basses. Um, 
because it's difficult to reproduce that really low frequency, you know. So we think we have an advantage there. Okay. All right. Any other questions from anyone in the audience? In the back? So I buy guitars because they're specific in their sound and their sound quality. How specific are you finding compared to, say, a magnetic-style pickup is this sounding? Or does it have any sort of digital problems? Um, that's, a, that's a good question, particularly about digital. This is an analog device. It's a fully analog device. And uh, as Tor mentioned, it wires in exactly the same. Um, you know, it, it's a powered device. It's active electronics, so it needs power. But when you install it in your guitar, you just wire it in the same way as everything. There's no digital artifacts at all. I, I, did I answer your question? Okay. Time for maybe one more question. What kind of battery life are you seeing on these in terms of extension? There have been other optical-type pickups in the past that the battery lives and the specific battery they used were, say, phone-type batteries, and the battery life would be two hours of play, two and a half hours of play before it would be dead. So what kind of extension are you seeing? Um, actually, because this pickup is a reflection mode, it's uh, it's unlike other optical pickups, the old versions, which are kind of, a, I would say, in transmission mode. So they have an LED with a photo sensor on the opposite side of the string. We're in reflection mode. We shine light up on the string and down. And so we need a lot more light and a lot more power. So the power scheme actually is a, right now, is, is a power box that uh, will deliver the power up the guitar cable, and it has a pass-through for the audio. Right now we're using a TRS. We're looking at uh, delivering the power through another means on just a, a two-conductor wire. But right now it's a TRS cable. But it's set, it's set up so that if you, you know, if you have a magnetic pickup there and an optical pickup and you forget your TRS cable, your magnetic pickup will still work just fine. Great. Thanks so much. Another uh, international company up next from Luxembourg. We have Jamendo. What can we do to entertain people for the next? Oh, wait. We have a hand. Finally brave enough to uh, maybe make sort of a pitch. Uh, my name is Henry Chatfield. I do a little bit of A&R with Pledge Music. Also working on a little project called What's Playing SF. Um, so it's my first time at SF Music Tech. It's also my first time ever pitching this. So bear with me. Uh, so, w- with What's Playing SF, uh, it monetizes discovery better. So, big curation, we can say, is, is pretty much good. It's in a good state. We've got Pandora. We've got Spotify. You discover music. The problem is, there. it's great for the fans, but for the artists, there's not a high monetization upon discovery. Um, you know, you can, when the artist finds the, when the artist... But sorry, when the fan finds the artist, they can steal the music, they can stream it, they can download it. Um, so what I do is I sorry uh, uh, I monetize it better by using um, live concerts um, and connecting the fans with the shows. Sorry. Awesome. Fabulous. All right, we're gonna get started with our last demo. You have to stop saying you're sorry for your idea. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Samuel, I'm coming from Europe, I'm, uh, I'm based in Belgium, but the company is in Luxembourg. Luxembourg is kind of the, 
the place where all the big companies like Amazon are based, eBay in, in Europe because of tax reasons. But we are not only based for that. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, so I'm a web entrepreneur. I created different startups in Europe. And now I'm the general manager of Jamendo. Jamendo is not really a startup anymore. It's been around for 10 years. So it's really a dinosaur in the music industry. Um, but I'm there to check up everything and create a new product. So I joined four months ago. And my aim is to become a way for independent artists, so who don't have labels, to uh, earn extra money. So monetize their work through licensing. Um, the new Jamendo platform will be released in about three weeks, on the 1st of December. And Jamendo is divided into three different platforms. So for music fans who want to discover independent music, for artists who want to make money, and then for brands who want to uh, buy um, independent songs, royalty-free, and uh, include them in their projects. So Jamendo, it's like a label 3.0. So for music lovers, we have around 450,000 songs, uh, 32,000 independent artists, and uh, it's free downloads. So a few years ago, before the streaming um, happens, uh, Jamendo was very popular because people could download music for free, discover new artists. Today, we're also going to the streaming, and we are creating a new mobile device. Um, for the artist, it's a great tool because you can just upload your music, you can host it for free on Jamendo, and you can make extra money. Uh, we have two different ways to make money today. So we will have more products in the new uh, months in 2015. Today, for the last five years, we have two different products. It's background music for business. We have around 10,000 shops. We have big brands in Europe like Zara, like uh, Subway, Starbucks, who use us because they don't, have to want, they don't want to pay collecting societies. So it's a really a big, um, it's a big savings for them. Uh, the second one, of course, is music licensing uh, for different projects. We also have big companies working with us. Our philosophy, it's a three-way situation, so everyone is winning. Uh, we have the music lovers who discover great new artists from all around the world. We have music from 150 countries today. Uh, we have different um, ways for artists to monetize their work and for the professional to find great music for cheap price. And we share 50-50 with all the artists. Um, in 2015, it will be a big day for us. It will be a big year. So we have a whole new branding with the SEO investment a lot. So you will have to be able to find specific music for what you're looking for. Documentary, for example, sci-fi documentary, nature, historical. You will have a music manager picking specific songs on each page, and you will find really great music. We are working with Island, actually, where it's one of the prospects to get music intelligence. So uh, we want you to find Bob Dylan music, songs like Bob Dylan, but instead of paying Bob Dylan a million euro, you will buy it for around $79. Um, and of course, background music for business. We want to create specific music. We also have partnership with Sony PlayStation for a content provider. And um, I'll go quick because <laughs> I have to finish. Um, but we have a brand new website for music lovers who will come up in 2015. It will be much more social. You will, have, you will be able to interact with your fan. It will be kind of a European band camp, so the artists will be able to monetize their work uh, through licensing, but also uh, donation, different type of um, monetizing option. So if you have any questions, feel free to contact me. Fabulous. Questions? 
Right now, your business is mostly sync licenses. Yes. And and it's a flat cost, or is it set by? Uh, today, today we have around 20 different prices, depending on your project, depending on the country. So if you want national project, radio project, it will be cheaper than if you want to do it on international theaters, for example. Uh, so it goes from 29 dollars up to 3,000 dollars, based on your projects. And it's all set by you guys. Yes. Today it's set by us. Uh, in the next few weeks, it will be only two prices. So it will be $79 and $199, and we will have two different options. For example, if you want to play in theater and gaming, it will be a little bit more expensive. But we want to make the pricing very simple to increase the conversion rates for and our clients. And split 50-50 between exactly, you and 50, the 50, artists. Exactly, 50-50, exactly. And this is for background music as well. Um, the background music, the licensing business is getting very... Um, very competitive. We have a lot of companies like iStock, Getty Image, getting to the business also. Um, so we're focusing a lot on this SEO, like uh, specific pages, but we're also focusing on the other product, which is background music. Um, because in Europe, collecting societies, it can cost a lot of money. In Spain, for example, it costs maybe up to $500 for a very small shop just to publish music in the shop. So it's really an alternative for our clients. Any other questions? Good idea. Anyone from the audience? All right, thanks so much. Thank you. All right, cool. We finished exactly on time. So enjoy the rest of the show. See you guys at the cocktail party. If you want to connect with any of these startups, stick around or find me. Thank you. Thank you. Good to meet you. Good to meet you.